Okay, we're finishing up Ecclesiastes today. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. So if you ever read a book that's so captivating that you couldn't wait to get to the end, and then when you get there, when you finally get to the end, you read the conclusion or the resolution, you suddenly have a different perspective on the book. And not only that, uh, because of that dis- different perspective, you want to reread the book in light of that different perspective. A great book will do that to you, and I use those words deliberately, do that to you. Uh, a great movie uh, will do that as well, and, and I would suggest Ecclesiastes is like that as well. You get to the end, you see his conclusion, and then you want to reread it. Uh, in light of that conclusion from this new perspective. Because the author starts out in verse 2, at the very beginning of the book, declaring that vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, or meaningless, or fleeting. And then in verse 3, he asks the big question, the, the really big question, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? In other words, what is the meaning of life? What is man's purpose? Is there any significance to human's existence? And I would ask, how can anyone read those three, first three verses in Ecclesiastes and not want to get to the resolutions, uh, to find out what he has to say about all this, to find out if he actually does come up with the answers? And in search of the answers, Solomon observes, he studies, he experiments, he experiences. He asks many questions about life under the sun. And and ironically, Solomon finds that his methods of experience, reason, and observation alone, they just won't help him understand life under the sun. And he eventually admits that it's folly. And no amount of wealth and possessions and fame and wisdom or or pleasure, uh, none of these things give him a sense of meaning either. He admits these things are folly as well. So this morning we're finally there, we're finally at the end, and we're finally uh, going to see what Solomon has to offer for answers. So let's, let's read Ecclesiastes 12. I'm going to begin in verse 8, where again he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware or beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Uh, Thank God for his word. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we we thank you for your word, and we trust that through your spirit, 
we will be built up, we will be edified, and we will grow in our faith uh, through your word. And we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we wrap up Ecclesiastes uh, this morning, we can remember that one of the things uh, to appreciate the book about the book is its honesty. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is just plain honest about the realities of life in a fallen world. Uh, this honesty uh, caused the, uh, the great American novelist Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick, uh, to call it the truest of all bo books. So Melville called it the truest of all books. And, and more than anything else in the Bible, Ecclesiastes captures the futility and frustration of living in a fallen world, or, or life under the sun, as he repeatedly calls it. I mean, it, it's honest about the, the drudgery of work, and, and the injustice of government, and the existence of oppression, and the unfairness of life, and, and the dissatisfaction and emptiness of foolish pleasure, and the oftentimes tedious nature of just everyday life. Uh, Solomon uh, someone once described Ecclesiastes as the only book of the Bible written on Monday morning. So. <laughs> but I personally think Ecclesiastes gets a bad rap. Uh, while it's tempting to view Ecclesiastes as, as dreary and pessimistic in its view of life, I think it would be more helpful and more accurate to see the book as having a realistic view of life. Uh, at least Solomon is realistic in his observations. I mean, life is difficult at times, and disappointing, and confusing, and unfair, and wearisome. And there are times of loss, and grief, and despair, and heartache. But if Solomon is realistic about life, he's also balanced. Uh, even as he observes all the negatives of, of life under the sun, he also observes the goodness of life. Because there are, are at least 11 joy or rejoice passages uh, interspersed uh, throughout Ecclesiastes. And, and one typical passage reads like this. You know, like three months ago we went through this. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.12, where he says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that ev everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. And, and here's the kicker. This is God's gift to man. It's God's gift to man that we enjoy life. And, and this is encouraging because Solomon repeatedly reminds us that, that our lives, as turbulent and, and frustrating and, and as uh, complex as they can be, our lives are a gift from God. And, and because God put us here, uh, we can have lives uh, full of uh, meaning and purpose and joy. So with verse 8, uh, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Solomon, uh, which is called the, the preacher at the end here, he began his quest for meaning in verse 2 at the very beginning of the book with those very words. And here he ends his quest. Now keep in mind the remaining verses, verses 9 through 14, are an epilogue or um, a, a postscript uh, to his um, 
to the rest of the book. So if I could, I could paraphrase, today we might say something like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. When, when trying to make sense of this life uh, sometimes. And with the next few verses, Solomon uh, begins to justify himself in, in his writings. He wants to establish his credibility as the author of this book. In verse 9, he says, Besides being wise, the preacher, referring to himself, Solomon, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So we already know Solomon's reputation for wisdom, given to him by God at Solomon's own request, even though, uh, of course, in his latter years, uh, Solomon uh, didn't behave very wisely, uh, going off uh, worshiping idols. And, um, but we are told here uh, by Solomon that through his studying, his weighing, or which, which means uh, giving serious thought and arranging, uh, he arranged things in a meaningful way, uh, he took great care in compiling many proverbs. And as we know, a proverb is a short, uh, vivid, and easy-to-remember uh, saying. And while Ecclesiastes has many proverbs of its own, uh, Solomon was also uh, uh, the source of uh, most of the proverbs uh, found in the book of Proverbs. First uh, Kings 4.32 informs us that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. Uh, God saw to it that several hundred of them have come down through us through the ages uh, in the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And uh, you know, some of Solomon's most well-known Proverbs include uh, 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Uh, 14.12, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And, and another one, common one, uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So these, uh, like I said, are short, vivid statements, easy to remember. Verses 10 and 11 uh, should go together, uh, and I'll show you why. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth, and the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So three times the text mentions words. Words of delight, words of truth, and words of the wise. Which are then referred to as the collected sayings. So it, it, these are almost certainly three uh, references or inferences uh, to be made uh, from these verses. I would suggest that the collected sayings, first of all, uh, means they, that they are a specific reference to the book of Ecclesiastes itself. Uh, secondly, uh, I would suggest that they are a broader reference to the wisdom literature uh, found in the Bible, like Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Job, the Psalms, and of course including Ecclesiastes. And then thirdly, uh, I would suggest that the collected sayings refers to the whole of Scripture. Uh, as, um, and, and we can infer this because Solomon writes that these collected sayings are given by one shepherd. 
And, and I think this is a, a pretty remarkable claim that Solomon makes, and, and it has big implications for us. Solomon is making the claim that his words in Ecclesiastes are given to him by one shepherd, which would be God, of course. And in other words, his writings are inspired. We would call that inspired. Uh, Panton Community Baptist Church's own doctrinal statement says this, we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are verbally inspired by God, uh, Solomon's shepherd, and inerrant in the original writing so that they are fully trustworthy and of supreme and final authority in all they say. I make this point because going back to verses 10 and 11, we can all agree with Solomon that all scripture, including Ecclesiastes, uh, contains words of truth, words of the wise. But words of delight in Ecclesiastes, uh, where, where all is vanity and everything is meaningless, and, and where the main theme seems to be life stinks and then you die, I mean, those words of delight, well, I would say yes. Ecclesiastes does include words of delight as well as words of wisdom and truth. And, and they all point us uh, to the one shepherd, the one God. And, and Solomon says that these collected sayings of Scripture are like goads and like nails firmly fixed. Okay, does anybody know what a goad is? Any of you farmers know what a goat is? Okay. <laughs> yeah, like a cattle prod. Okay, I confess I didn't know what a goat was. So it, it's a cattle prod. It, it's a pointed stick uh, or rod used to encourage you know, cattle to move in, in the direction you want them to go. So Solomon refers to these collected words of Scripture as goats. Uh, pointing us in the right direction in life. Except these goads are made up of wisdom and of truth and are a delight to our souls. And of course, their source is from God, our loving Father. Uh, so the words of Scripture uh, prod us. They guide us. They're, they're pointed and sharp to move us into action. And, and like a goad, you know, they hook and pull us in one direction uh, or the other in order to keep us uh, going on the right path. I don't know about you, but I need uh, a goad in my life. Um, I mean, Psalm 119, 105 says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need the guidance of God's word. And the nails refers either to tent stakes or, or nails holding wood together. Uh, and the point is, uh, both of those are intended to hold something firmly in place. Uh, so likewise, the words of the Bible secure us to God who, who spoke the words. Uh, for example, Psalm 119, I keep going back to Psalm 119, 9-11 uh, declares that the young man is able to keep his way pure by guarding it with the word of God and storing it in his heart so that he might not sin against the Lord. So the word of, of God gets us moving in the right direction in life, uh, as with a goad, and also anchors and stabilizes us uh, in life uh, as, as with the nails. So the Bible is delightful because it's the word of God. 
It's true because it's the Word of God. The Bible contains wisdom because it's the Word of God. And the Bible is able to guide us and secure us because it's the Word of God Himself. And if the Scriptures aren't breathed out or they aren't inspired by God, they're just another book. They're just another book to read. But if they are God speaking to us, then of course there's nothing, nothing at all more important for us to read, to study, to memorize, and meditate upon. And while Solomon is on the topic of words, uh, he gives a warning in, in verse 12. He writes, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Beware of anything beyond these words. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now for us, uh, I take this as a warning, uh, where Solomon is telling us to be careful of the media that we use. And when I say media, I'm talking about books and newspapers and, and everything in between. He's, he's warning us against the dangers of reading and studying to find eternal truth outside of Scripture. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, my bookshelves are filled with uh, good stuff. But eternal truth is found inside Scripture. So he's not saying that we shouldn't read or watch movies or partake of Facebook or other forms of our entertainment. He's not saying that. But we would be naive to think that much of our entertainment doesn't have an agenda. Uh, much of the media and entertainment we consume can influence us uh, with its teachings that contradict the Bible. Uh, every book, every film, every television series, or any other media teaches something as truth. It teaches something as truth. And, and discovering whether or not that aligns with biblical truth uh, is our responsibility as Christians. Uh, do you know that it takes the average person 70 hours to read through the Bible? So it takes the average person 70 hours to read through the whole Bible. And it seems like a lot of time, doesn't it? And it, it might even sound like work, if we were honest. Wow, that's a long time to read through the Bible. So, per, for perspective, if you were to watch the Patriots for an entire season, including the playoffs and Super Bowl, which is just about every year, um, and you know, read a little bit of uh, pre- and post-game newspaper, uh, it would be close to 70 hours. Um, I did this in 2006 and 2007, uh, from September through February. And I did not read the Bible. Um, uh, another example, uh, if you were to watch every episode of Game of Thrones, which, by the way, I thought that was a video game. I, I, I had no idea it was like a, a show on TV. But anyway, if you were to watch every episode of Game of Thrones, it would, that would also take about 70 hours. I haven't done that. And I estimated that if you were to binge watch all the Star Wars films, all the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings films, and then you add the Harry Potter films, uh, it would take about 62 hours. 
So I've binge watched Star Wars and Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. But I can tell you I, I probably have never binged read the Bible. Maybe a book here and there. Um, so the, the point is uh, we readily, we willingly, and we sometimes thoughtlessly expose ourselves to dozens of hours of entertainment and media in, in, in any given month. Yet, how much time do we expose ourselves uh, to God's uh, word? Um, would we look forward uh, to a binge reading of the Bible? And I'm pointing fingers at myself here. Our philosophies are often hidden, and, and, and the same empty deceits that the Colossian church uh, fought against uh, still exist today. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So again, I'm not saying that we should shun entertainment, but we should become uh, more media literate so that we might be able to, uh, as 2 Corinthians says, destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Amen? That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. And obeying Christ makes a great uh, segue uh, for verse 13, where it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So this is it. This is Solomon's conclusion. This is the end of the matter after all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. So th this is a summary statement of a lifetime of investigation and experience. And as uh, Solomon discovered, uh, human wisdom uh, leads us uh, nowhere but to meaninglessness. And, and many people ask, you know, how can I find happiness? How can I find satisfaction in life? And how can I find meaning in life? And the answer uh, given here by Solomon is to fear God and keep his commandments. And Solomon notes that this is uh, the whole duty of man. Now, the, the original Hebrew leaves out the word duty. It's the whole of man. Uh, the word duty was added by uh, translators. Um, so, in other words, to fear God and keep his commandments is the whole of man. It, it, it's the essence of man. It, it, it's what we have been created for. Uh, that's our purpose. You know, fearing God and keeping His commandments brings glory to God. So to fear God means to realize that God is the creator of all. The creator of you, the creator of the universe, and, and everything around us. And that He is in control of everything that occurs in this life. But not only that, He's in control of uh, the life to come. Uh, Oswald uh, Chambers uh, wrote, he said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. 
And if one fears God, he will naturally seek to keep his commandments, you know, to live according to his ways, which we find in the scriptures. So we, we have a loving creator. Uh, God is our shepherd. And so the commands he gives us are for our own good. Uh, one commenta commentator wrote, God created life and he alone knows how it should be managed. Uh, he wrote a manual of instructions, and wise is the person who reads and obeys. Uh, when all else fails, read the instructions, he says. Uh, John the Apostle uh, said, this is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, John said. And then Solomon concludes the book with an, over, with, uh, an overriding reason uh, for following his last piece of advice. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Think about that. Good or evil, God will bring every deed into judgment. After we die, we will be judged. Uh, there's, there's no way around it. And man is destined to die once and after that to face uh, judgment. Hebrews 9.27 We will be judged by God through Jesus Christ. So knowing this, it makes sense to fear God and keep His commandments. Now, despite its sometimes depressing tone, uh, Ecclesiastes has much to say to us. Uh, it, 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 he says, remember God, the Creator, which we talked about last week. He says, fear God, the Creator, uh, as of today. Uh, keep the commandments of God. Enjoy the life that God gives. Uh, prepare for leaving life under the sun. And prepare to stand before God in a future judgment where we will be held accountable uh, for enjoying what He has given and for living in accordance with his commands. So, if it's true that God will bring everything into judgment, and it is, of course, uh, then it's vitally important for us to make sure uh, that we will be found righteous uh, on that awesome and inevitable day. And the only way to be sure is to trust Jesus. It, it, it's as simple as that. Trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's because He alone has the power to save us from the wrath of God. Uh, Solomon might describe life under the sun as vain and meaningless, but Jesus came into this vain and meaningless world. And, and He suffered through its futility. He suffered through its frustration right along with us. But more than suffering with us, Jesus suffered for us. Not only did He suffer with us, but He suffered for us when He took the judgment that we deserve on the cross and when He died for our sins. And then, as uh, Solomon likes to, to say it, His body returned to the dust, um, but Jesus rose again on the third day, uh, bringing life out of the dust or out of the grave. Uh, that's Solomon's uh, favorite uh, term for, for dying. It's going back to the dust. 
So even as Solomon gives the, the answer to life, the universe, and everything, um, final reference to um, Hitchhiker's Guide, um, which is fear God and keep His commandments, uh, for this is the whole essence of man. Jesus is our perfect example of doing just that. As Isaiah the prophet describes Jesus, he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, will rest on Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord rests on Jesus. And not only that, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And as believers in Christ, we have that same spirit. Let us delight in the fear of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God.